Bible tells us pride is a sin. I can tell you Pride Month, as it is represented, clearly is a celebration of sin. And I'll just tell you, any person, any business, any church uh, that flies its colors is reveling in sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Always, at all times, the Bible condemns it. Yes, Jesus talks about it, and it is a sin. In fact, while we're on the subject, any sex outside of marriage, whether it's before marriage or outside of marriage, it is a sin. Living together as a married couple without the benefit of marriage, it is a sin. It is not acceptable for God, no matter what the culture says, it is a sin. Watching pornography, however, wherever, whether it's on a secret website on your phone that you think no one knows about, or whether it's at the theater watching Fifty Shades of Grey, or on a popular TV show, it is grotesque. It is a sin. Abortion is a sin. It is not sometimes a sin. It is a sin. And approving it, accepting it, promoting it as not a sin is a sin. Killing someone with your mouth, whether in lies or slander or idle gossip, the Bible tells us, is a sin. The Bible says it is a sign of a heart that is not walking in the spirit, but is rather walking by the flesh. The Bible actually says God hates liars. It is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. To be intoxicated at any level is a sin. Are you uncomfortable yet? Are you wishing you'd miss this service this Sunday? Are you wishing, hey, I wish he would just stick to John chapter 3, verse 16. I can tell you right now, I feel my Facebook page and I'm losing friends even as I speak. I want you to stay with me. Here's the point. And yes, there is a point to this. I want you to listen. I want you to hear this. What God has called a sin is a sin. Now, we do not decide that. He has decided that. He has made it clear to us, and I want you to hear me today, what God has called a sin is a sin. And what God has called a sin, we must also call a sin. We have to. What God has called a sin, it is a sin. What God has called a sin, we must also call a sin. Because then and only then can we hold up God's Gracious remedy for sin, Jesus. Listen to me, hear me today. No sin is too great that Jesus will not forgive it. No sin is too grievous that there is not restoration made in the person of Christ for that sin. And the sinner's hope is Jesus. And the sinner's relief, our peace, our rest, is found in Jesus. But listen to me today. In order to see Jesus... We have to be honest about sin. Today in the church, we cannot overlook sin. We cannot tolerate sin. Now, there are some that would say already this is not going to be popular. There are some that are going to say this is going to get us in a whole lot of trouble, that this is going to upset some folks. Friends, listen to me. In these days, we must be ready. We must be resolved. The cost is too great not to. Today our message is entitled, The Timidly Tolerant Church. The Timidly Tolerant Church. 
Today we're in Revelation chapter 2. We're moving verse by verse to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Today, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. The timidly tolerant church. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning of verse 18, God's word says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm thankful that we have the forgiveness of our sin in Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord, that no sin is too great, no distance is too far, no sin is too grievous, that when we turn to Jesus and repentance that we're not forgiven, that we're not renewed, that we're not restored. Lord, we're thankful for that. You carry our guilt. You've carried our shame in the person of Christ. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray that today as we study your word, I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts to respond, feet to walk in obedience, and I pray that it would bear fruit today. I, I pray where we ought to be convicted that we're convicted, where we ought to be corrected that we're corrected. Lord, I pray that in all of it we see your love and your grace greatly shown to us. Lord, I pray for some that may not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the truth that today they turn to Christ, they trust Christ for their salvation. I pray that any hindrance to that would be removed. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we are built up today, that we are equipped today, that we're ready to stand in a world that is hurting and suffering. Lord, you are worthy. You are our hope. You are our refuge. You are our king, our portion, our savior. We exalt the name of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today in our culture, we've talked about it for, before, but we live really in a backwards world that has decided in these days 
that the greatest virtue that we can hold, the greatest virtue that we can exhibit, it is not love, it is not honesty or truth, it is not integrity, but we live in a day when the greatest virtue is told to us to be tolerant. And we're told that's the greatest thing you can be is you can be tolerant. And we want to be a tolerant people and we want to raise tolerant kids. And we're told that is the greatest virtue. It means to be accepting of all things. It means to be accepting of all people. It means to be accepting of all ideas. And that is today celebrated as the greatest virtue. Not love, not honesty, but tolerance. To not be tolerant today is told to be or is considered to be mean. If you're not tolerant today, it's considered to be hateful or it's to be considered judgmental. Who are you to judge? We, we hear that and we see that all the time. To not be tolerant of all ideas, of all people, is told to be judgmental. Well, we need to be sure and we need to know, listen to me very carefully, Tolerance, when it comes to the truth, is not loving. Now, it's backwards because that's what the world says. But tolerance, when it comes to the truth, it is not kind to say, well, that is true and that is true. And there can be many truths to adhere to that, to promote that. It is not kind. Tolerance, when it comes to the truth, is not good. Now, I want you to think about something. I've got an example. I want you to think about this. If you were to come to me and you have a great sickness and you are suffering in that sickness and you will perish in that sickness and it is clearly, when I see it, clearly diagnosed and there is a remedy for that sickness. There is a really a simple cure for that sickness. But for some reason, whatever it is, maybe you're hard-headed, you refuse to accept the diagnosis. You refuse to see it. You say, well, that's not it. I don't think that's it. I don't believe that. I'm not willing to hear that. There's no way that that is what is ailing me. And, and for anyone to say, to come along and say, well, you know what? I don't want to upset them any further. I don't want to agitate them any further. And so I'm going to tolerate what they say. Well, I'm not sick. Well, it's not that. Well, I don't want to upset you. I don't want to agitate you. And so to get along, I'm not going to say anything. You wouldn't think that was kind, would you? There is a remedy. You wouldn't think that was loving, would you? You wouldn't think that was good. Well, listen to me. Today, in God's grace and in God's kindness and in God's love, when it comes to the truth, we are called to be intolerant of anything but the truth. Now, I want to say that again because I want you to hear that. Today, in God's grace, it is gracious in his kindness, in his love. When it comes to the truth, the church of Jesus Christ is called to be intolerant of anything that's not the truth. Now, listen, we're not to be hateful to folks. We're not to try to disparage and run folks off. But when it comes to the issue of the truth, we're to be intolerant of anything that's not the truth. Now, let me show you what it says in the verses today. Let's go to the verses. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write. We know that this is talking to the pastor of the church, the one that will proclaim, present 
the message. To the pastor of the church, now it was an actual church, it was a historical church. This is an actual church that's going to receive this message. It is a message that goes to a historical church. In Thyatira, right. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the city Thyatira. It was an unimpressive city. Really, if you look at it, it was an unimportant city. Now, we've learned of these other cities. We're going to learn of some others as well. And these are great cities. These are tremendous cities. And we read of these cities, there's great schools in these cities. There's magnificent temples, awe-inspiring temples in these cities. There are sporting stadiums in these cities. There's libraries, 200,000 volumes in these cities. These are awesome cities, but not Thyatira. It was a simple city. It was a plain city. It was a military outpost 30 miles from Pergamum. We looked at Pergamum last week. Pergamum was a capital city. It was a grand city. Well, 30 miles before you get to that city, you would have to run into this military outpost, and the goal is they would defend the city of Pergamum. That's why they were there. They would start the defense. They would send the warning, and they would defend the city of Pergamum. Now, history tells us that they were even unimpressively unsuccessful at that. When you go look in history, they were overrun this city several times, many times. And so even in the job they do have, they're unimpressive in that job. Now, this simple city was mainly known for one thing. It was known for trade guilds, a trade guild. Now, it was on a trade route. There's many people passing through it. And they were known for trade guilds. It's kind of like a trade union. Uh, there was one for wool production. There was a trade guild for fabric production. There was another one for purple dye, the, the production and the sales of purple dye. There was a trade guild for that. There was another one for metalsmiths, those that would smelt and make things out of metal. And these guilds were all centered in this city. Really, it's the thing it had going for it. It's what it was known for. Now, these trade guilds were unlike unions in that they called for the worship of the God of that trade. And so if you were to join that trade guild, you would have to worship the God of wool production. Now, you could worship other gods. You would probably add this to the gods that you were worshiping, but as a member of that trade guild, you would worship the god of wool production. Or you would worship the, the god of metal smithing. And, and in addition to your other worship, you would add the worship of this god. Now I want you to see two things right here. First is this. There has evidently always been a temptation to sacrifice the god of truth for success in your career. And evidently that's not a new thing that we see. Evidently that's always been a temptation. And the temptation in this city was for the believers here to say, hey, I want to prosper in my trade. I want to make money in my trade. I want to have a claim in my trade. And so I want to belong to that trade guild. And so they would have to worship the God of that trade. 
But at the same time, they would say, yes, I, I want to do that. I want those things. But I also want to belong to the church. I also want to worship the God that I call the God of truth. And so it was tempting the lures that you could worship both of these gods at the same time. That was the lure. There's always been a temptation to sacrifice the God of truth for success in your career. Evidently, that's always been a temptation. Second thing is this, and I want you to notice this here. Notice in our study the longest message, the longest letter from Christ goes to the most insignificant city. The longest letter, the, the longest letter that he, the longest message that he's going to proclaim in sin goes to the most insignificant city. Why? I believe it's because it's not the size of the city. And I believe it's not because of the size of the church or the reputation of the church in that city, but I believe it is God's plan to use the faithfulness of the church to uphold the truth in that city that matters. I believe that's all that matters. And so it's not about the size of the city. It's not about the size of the church in that city. It's about the faithfulness of that church to proclaim the truth in that city. Now, my prayer, you may laugh at it, my prayer is this. My prayer actually is that the most faithful church to the cause of Christ and the most faithful church to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be little old Calvary Baptist Church in Vernon, Texas. And that may sound far-fetched. There's bigger churches, and there's churches with a lot more impressive preachers, I can tell you that. And there's churches with a whole lot more impressive grounds and things to offer. But I want to tell you, my prayer is that the most faithful church to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be Calvary Baptist Church in Vernon, Texas. Going on in verse 18, we have again a specific picture of Jesus given in this message. Now, I think it's pretty interesting. I said this last week. It's interesting that the, the picture of Jesus is specific to the need of the church that he is addressing. Well, it's no different this day. We see a specific picture of Jesus. There in verse 18, it says, the Son of God. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right, the Son of God. Now understand, this is declaring, this is making known, this is proclaiming the deity of Christ. Jesus is the Lord God. Now yes, he is a man, but he's not merely a man. Jesus is God himself. And so when the message comes down, and if you're wondering who is speaking, it is the Lord God Jesus who is speaking. And so it declares the deity of our Savior Jesus. Then it goes on in this specific picture and it says, Who has eyes like a flame of fire? Who has eyes like a flame of fire? Now again, this is showing us, we've seen it before, that these are the eyes that see what is happening. Sometimes we think we can get away with something. We think we can explain away something. We think we can, we can, we can hide something. But these are the eyes that see what is happening. They are not fooled. They see correctly as it is. 
They burn through any falsehood. They burn through any deception. They burn through any smokescreen, any nonsense. And they see and they perceive what is really the truth. These eyes see the truth. The description goes on and says, And his feet are like burnished bronze. Again, we've looked at this before. It means he is possessing infinite strength. This is a reflection of his power and his strength. Now, not only that, these are the feet that come in judgment. And so it's showing us not only these are the feet that come in judgment, but they are strong enough to actually carry out God's judgment. They're not going to falter. They're not going to fall short. His feet, he comes in strength and power. Now, again, that's an awesome picture of Jesus. And I, sometimes I think, well, we ought to pull up and have a whole sermon on that. We might do that someday. That is a marvelous picture of Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus. He is God. He's the Lord God. He sees the truth, and he comes in power and might. What a marvelous picture of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Jesus says to this church, I know your deeds. The word translates works. I know what you've done. I know what you're doing. I know where you have labored. I know your works. And he says, in love. This is really a great commendation. I know this church operates in love. The word here is agape love. We know that is the, the service of others at the cost of self. This church sacrifices for the betterment of others. They serve in love. But it goes on and it says not just love. It says, and faith. And then it says, and Service. The word diakonin, the Greek word here, it's the same word that we get the word deacon from. It means hospitality and service of others. And so they're not antagonistic to others. They're hospitable to others and service. Then it says, and perseverance. The list goes on and on. And perseverance. This is the staying under the load. It's not setting down the load. It's not escaping the work but it is staying under the load. And then it has all of those. And then it says this, and your deeds of late are greater. That word for greater, it means greater in value, greater in number. It means very simply more excellent. It says, and so their deeds of late are greater than at first. That means this church has done all these excellent things, but what they are doing now is more than ever. They're doing better things now than they've ever done. They've, they're doing greater things now than they've ever attempted. Your, I see your works, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. I see you're getting better. What an awesome commendation from Jesus. What an awesome description. That must be an awesome church. I see what you've done. I see what you're doing. I see you're getting better as you do it. Wow, what an awesome commendation. 
right, verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's a loaded verse. Let me read it again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, verse 20, it is a busy verse. It starts off with the word but. It is a conjunction of contrast. All of these things are commendable. All of these things are terrific. But you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, I want us to think about the word tolerate here for a second. You do all of these things, but you, one thing, tolerate the woman Jezebel. The word tolerate, we need to be sure and understand, it means to permit it means to leave alone. It is to not address or to overlook. And so if you have a truth and you tolerate it, then you're accepting a non-truth. That is this word here. You are tolerating, you're permitting, you're leaving alone, not addressing or overlooking. Listen to this. Every week I say, man, these messages are right on time. Every week I say, man, isn't this ma matching exactly what's happening in our culture. I want you to look at this. The sin of the church in Thyatira is tolerance. The sin of the church in Thyatira is tolerance. Let's look at Jezebel here for a second. This most likely was not her name. Uh, it was a symbolic name. It was a representative name. It is referencing the wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament. When they heard this, they would have recognized this. Uh, we should do the same. Now remember uh, Jezebel, the, the wife of King Ahab, she led Israel in some, into some of their darkest days. She led them astray. Well, the Bible says evidently this woman does the same thing. Now it says here she is teaching and she is calling herself a prophetess. Now a prophetess is one who speaks for God. A prophet speaks for God the messenger from God, a prophetess, has the same role. This is one who speaks for God. Now, I want you to see this. Be sure of this. The sin is not that she is a prophetess. The sin is that she called herself a prophetess and was not. I want you to see that. There's many women in the Old Testament that proclaimed the word of God, that God used them in that role. The sin is not that she was a prophetess, the sin is that she claimed to be a prophetess and she was not. Now I want you to get this, we need to be sure of this today. There is great damage going on in churches today because they are being led by and they are listening to people that God did not call and God did not send. And I'll just tell you, you can look around, I, I can tell you a whole bunch of them, there are whole churches and I'll tell you, there's maybe some even denominations, and they're being led by people, and those people say, I am a prophet of God, and I speak the word of God, and I carry the message of God, and the truth is, God did not send them. Listen to me, church. We must be careful in the church today. 
We have to be careful in the church today. There's a whole lot of people standing in pulpits asking like they're the spokesman of God and God did not send them. She claimed to speak for God and she did not. Jesus said, she teaches and leads my bond servants astray. That's what false teachers do. She teaches and leads my bond servants astray. The picture of that is to wander. It is to deviate. It is to leave the truth. The picture is that they're on the right track. They have the truth. They're walking in the truth. And a false teacher shows up. And if you notice, they usually don't make a hard right turn. They start to veer off a little bit. And maybe they change the words that they're using. Maybe they change the definition of the words that they're using. And they start to lead people. And you say, well, that sounds pretty close to what we believe. That sounds pretty close to what I have heard. And you start to leave the path. And they lead them astray. That's what happens here. They lead, they leave the truth. And the fruit of her false teaching, it's the same thing we saw last week, is to embrace immorality, sexual sin, and to embrace worldliness. Remember last week they would come to the feast for the false god and they would say, we're not going to the sacrifice, but they would go to the after party and they would eat the meat sacrificed to the, to the false god and the world couldn't tell them from, from, from the people that were worshiping pagan gods. And so the fruit of this false teacher, she was leading the people to embrace sexual immorality and to embrace worldliness. See this. In tolerating the false teacher and not addressing her, they are now tolerating sin. Do you ever wonder, you ever look around and say, how did, how did that church ever get there? How did that denomination ever get there? How did they ever surrender the word of God? How did they ever get there? If you tolerate the false teacher, it will not be long and you'll be tolerating the sin. Folks, get this today. Listen very carefully. In all days, but now in vital importance in these last days, I, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to be sure of this. In all days, but now of vital importance in these last days, the church that is sin-affirming and the church that is sin-accepting and the church that for sure is sin celebrating, it doesn't matter what else they get right. They are opposed to the mission of Jesus Christ, and it cannot stand. That's what we learn here. Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the message has changed. Maybe it's a different day. Maybe it's a different norm today. Listen. Those that are sin-affirming and sin-accepting and sin-celebrating, they are opposed to the mission of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is telling us here, it can not stand. Let me, let me give you a clue here. To determine if someone is actually sent and commissioned by God. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, it's hard sometimes. Somebody comes and you say, well, that seems like a prophet, a spokesman of God, and I don't, I don't know, I can't see into their heart. How do we know? How can I know? Let me give you a clue. To determine if someone is actually sent and commissioned by God, to know if they are valid and professing to be God's spokesman, here's a clue for you. See how they address sin. See how they see sin. 
Do they grieve over sin? Do they hate sin? Do they stand on what God has said about sin? Do they waver when it comes to the subject of sin? Do they, do they shrink back? Oh, that's not ever going to be popular. Do they shrink back about what God has said about sin? Will they proclaim the full counsel of the word of God? Listen, I can't tell you about the grace of a Savior if I can't tell you about what he considers a sin and why he went to the cross to pay for it. Because if they will not, let me tell you something, most likely God didn't send them. And you find somebody and they want to they Mickey and Mouse around the subject of sin and they want to tiptoe around the subject of sin they won't say what God has said about sin, I want to tell you this, most likely God did not send them. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now, verse 21 is very interesting. How do we know God is wildly gracious? How do we know God's mercies are new every day. We say that every morning his mercies are new. How do we know God's grace is like the song says, grace greater than all our sin? My hope is that his grace is greater than all my terrible sin. How do I know that? How do we know that? I want you to see this. He offers even this false teacher a chance to repent. That's what the verse says. Is he gracious to all people? Is he kind to all people? Is he willing to forgive all people? Listen, he even offers the false teacher a chance to repent. One of my mottos, I don't know if that's a good word, one of the things I've started saying a lot lately is that God has never rejected a repentant person. And I'll just tell you, I, I, I search the pages of Scripture, and I, I know that to be true. God never rejects a repentant person. And it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what the sin is. If a person will repent and come to God, he will forgive them and save them in the person of Jesus Christ. God has never rejected a repentant person. Notice here in verse 21, it says, she doesn't want to. That's what it says. I gave her time to repent, and she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. I want you to see this. Get this this morning. Any person not willing to repent, it's because they've decided to go on in their sin. And I, I think about that. Why won't they repent? And the offer is to repent. God's grace is offered to those, those that will repent and come to Jesus Christ. And we, well, I got hurt. Well, I'm mad. Well, I'm this. Well, I'm that. I want to tell you the simple truth is this. Any person that will not repent, they have decided to go on in their sin. I like my sin. I want my sin. I can explain away my sin. And any person not willing to repent, they have decided to go on in their sin. That's what she says. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to. Now God's judgment, verse 22. Behold, I gave her time to repent. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Now, the actual translation, the literal translation, does not include the word sickness after bed. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. That word sickness is not 
not in the actual translation, it says onto a bed, and those who commit adultery with her great, into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Now, that word's not actually there. It is assumed because they're going to have great affliction, they're going to have great tribulation and trouble, that it is a bed of sickness. Jesus says here, I will throw her onto a bed, and those who commit adultery with her, meaning those who take on her unfaithfulness, those who take in her false teaching, those who carry out her sinful acts led by her, they will have tribulation and trouble and distress unless they repent. That is the picture of this verse. I will throw her on a bed. Those that come and participate in her unfaithfulness, those who come and take in her false teaching, those who carry out the sinful acts that are led by her, they will have tribulation. See this. The judgment of God is if you seek out false teaching and if you accept false teaching and if you in rebellion practice the fruit of false teaching, though you have been warned, though you have the truth, God will turn you over to it and you will suffer. The Bible says in this age people will accumulate preachers that will say what they wanted to say. They will accumulate for themselves preachers that will tickle their ears. They'll say things that wouldn't offend anybody. And, and the Bible says, Jesus says here, the judgment of God is, if you want to go looking for a false teacher, if you want to listen to a false teacher, if you want to practice the things led by a false teacher, he'll turn you over to it. You can do it, but you will suffer. You will suffer. Why does God want to get sin? Let's get down to it. Why does God warn against sin? Why does he tell us to warn against sin? Is he mad? He upset? He's got a pecking order. He's got to, he's got to set the pecking order. Is that what it is? He wants you to know he dominates. Is that what it is? Why does God warn against sin? Let me tell you why he warns against sin. It ends in broken hearts. It ends in grief. It ends with knots in your stomach and you can't sleep at night. It ends in pain. It even ends in death. And in grace, he warns us against sin. In grace, the church is supposed to do the same. It's because it brings pain and it brings suffering. That's why we warn against sin. And I will kill her children, verse 23, with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now, verse 23 is not talking about her actual children, but those who follow her, those who rise up because of her. Now, I want you to be sure of this. This is heavy. Just to read that, it is heavy. Be sure, listen to this, God's judgment is serious. Do you know that? God's judgment is serious. His judgment of sin, it is a serious thing. It is not light. We may be apathetic about sin. We may be fine with sin. We may be trying to explain it away. God is not. The end of the verse says that God sees the truth. He knows the heart. He knows what's going on. And he says this, and as you sow, so shall you reap. You'll get what it is that you sow. 
But I say to you, verse 24, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as I call them, I place no other burden on you. I'm going to read verse 25. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Now, there were some in this church that had not gone this way. They had not participated in the vile things of this false teacher. There were some in this church that they had held firm. When others were tolerating her, when others were tolerating this sin, they did not. And so Jesus has a call for them in the church as well. He says this, hold fast until I come. Hold fast until I come. Friends, I want you to hear me today. That is our call today. That is our call today. Hold fast until Jesus comes. Hold fast until Jesus comes. We were singing that first song a few minutes ago, and I was thinking about, you know what? We're not waiting on a Savior to come, to die on a cross. He's already done that. We're not waiting on a risen, resurrected Savior to ascend to heaven. He's already done that. We're waiting on the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. I don't know how to make you understand that. I don't know how to make us more urgent about that. But Jesus, just as he came once, he is coming again. And the call of Jesus is, hold fast until I get there. Hold fast until I come. Do not give in. Do not compromise. Don't let your guard down. It doesn't matter what's popular. It doesn't it doesn't matter what makes people mad. It doesn't matter what the culture says. Jesus says, hold fast, brother and sister. I'm coming. Hold fast until I get there. Hold fast until I get there. Verse 26 and 7. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end to him I will give authority over the nations. Verse 27. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Now I want you to remember this. We overcome not in willpower. We overcome not in our resilience. We overcome in Jesus. And because of Jesus, if we've trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, in His power, we are overcomers. In His power, we will overcome. But sometimes as we walk this road, it's pretty discouraging. Sometimes we walk this road, we can't understand. And so He tells us what we have is those who overcome in Him. It says, those who do rule with Him. That's what the picture is. Those who overcome rule with him. Now, it's a picture of an eternal rule. Now, we'll rule eternally with him, but it's also a picture specifically of a thousand-year, millennial-year reign with Christ when we will rule with Christ. That's what the Bible says. And so, listen, your reward is you will rule, we will rule with Christ. I picture this little old church. Here we are, and we don't have a great town. 30 miles away, they got a fancy city. They got, they got sporting events going on there. And here we are in this insignificant city. And here we are in this little tough nut church in the middle of this tough little city. And they have held to the truth, and it was unpopular. 
it was considered intolerant. And they stood in the power of Christ and they stood for the glory of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 22, it says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. And you were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. You understand that? I will put you in charge of many things. Come into the joy of the Lord. That's the reward. Yeah, it may have seemed insignificant. Yeah, maybe you couldn't see the purpose in it. But Jesus says, you've been faithful with a little thing. I will put you in charge over many things. There's more than that. Verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. Maybe one of the greatest verses. And I will give him the morning star. I believe there's some that would say different. I believe this is clearly referring to Jesus himself. You want to know who the morning star is? It is Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 16. Jesus says he is the bright and morning star. And Jesus says, I will give him the morning star. Now, are you listening to this? Here's what it means. Our reward, it's not a big trophy. Our reward's not a big ring to wear to the town square. Our reward, it is not a claim, it is not approval. Our reward is Jesus. And when we have trouble now, when we have trials now, when we have tribulation now, when we have loneliness now, when we have hardships now, when we have insults now, I want to tell you the word of Jesus is this, there will be an actual day when finally, fully, in the grace of God, in the presence of Jesus, we will have Jesus. Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy. Verse 29, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the question. And I'll tell you, not only the question, here's the problem. Is that what we really want? Is that what you really want? Is Jesus enough for you? See, the problem today is our culture says you can have two things. You can have the world and you can have Jesus too. Just like them, you can, you can worship the false gods of your trade and you can worship the one true God too. Here's the question, is Jesus enough for you? Is it Jesus and something else that's going to have to, to appease you? Is Jesus enough for you? Church, we must stand. We must stand on the truth of sin. It's not going to be popular, not going to be easy. We must stand on the truth of sin so we can shout the truth of the gospel. And that is this, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We just passed through all those words to get to this point. Listen to me, there is a remedy for sin. And there is a savior for sinners. His name is Jesus. And I don't care the depth of the depravity of your sin. I don't, I don't care the grotesqueness of your sin. I don't care the publicness or the quiet secretness of your sin. Listen to me. If you've sinned, you've fallen short of the glory of God. But I want to tell you, we have a gracious Savior, our Lord Jesus. And he comes, he lives a life of no sin, that he would pay for your sin, that he would pay for my sin, that he would take my shame and my guilt, yours as well, that he would carry it away, that he would pay for it, settle it, remedy it in the cross of Calvary. He has done that. If you come today as a sinner, if you'll repent and say, I'm so tired of my sin, I'm so tired of the trouble and the guilt and the shame of it, and I turn to Jesus as my remedy. Listen, that risen Savior, he'll forgive you today. 
He'll restore you today. He'll renew you today. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus enough for you? Listen to me, brother and sister. Yes, Jesus is enough. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we praise you today. We thank you today. We worship you today. Lord, I'm thankful for a risen, resurrected Savior. I'm thankful for a gracious God that warns of the pitfalls of sin. But then sin's a remedy for it when we fall into it, when we walk into it, when we want to. Sin's a remedy for our rebellious, sinful heart. Lord, I'm thankful for Jesus. Lord, I pray that he's been known today. I pray that he has been made clear today. I pray for some that don't know him, those that need the remedy, that they would turn to him today and they would walk in peace, that they would go home and sleep in peace tonight in the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray for a church that will stand on the gospel, stand on the truth of what you call sin, but stand on the truth that there's a Savior for that sin. Lord, help us in that. Cause us to be bold in that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, as important as that was, this is the most important time of this service. We preach, we preach for a response. And the truth is this, there is a response to be made right now. If you've never trusted Jesus, you're going to have to decide, do I want to continue in my sin or do I want to turn to Jesus? Turn to Christ today. He'll forgive you today. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of commitment, a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, if he has spoken to you today, if you're ready to say, I'm tired of my sin and I want to claim Jesus as my Savior, you come on, let's settle that today. Let's finish it today. Don't leave here today without that settled. His grace is offered to you right now. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you need to follow in believer's baptism. You need to tell the world, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I want folks to see what I believe of Christ. And you come, it'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well, and together we'll preach his good news until he comes again. Maybe you're here and you say, God, give me the power to stand, the resolve to stand especially in a world that's going a different direction. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you want to come pray for your home. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. God's grace is offered to all. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit, but you would pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on.